Welcome to Bravery Trek Run Ashore, a podcast for Bravery Trust in partnership with Content Group. Welcome to another episode of Run Ashore, the podcast that follows this year's route for the Bravery Trust fundraiser, Bravery Trek. I'm Mark Cooper and thank you for joining me. I'd like to kick off today's podcast by congratulating all those who have participated in this year's trek. I know that for many of you, you've been donating or participating in the trek and I just want to tip my lid to you and say thank you for your contribution to such a great cause. Today, we're joined by a very good friend of mine, uh, Brigadier Bill Sowery, who, well, he's retired, but he's retired from defence anyway, but he's still doing a lot of work as a consultant. Uh, Bill and I have been friends for many years and it's an absolute honour to have him here on the show. Thanks very much, Mark. Appreciate the opportunity to be here. Excellent. Thanks, mate. Uh, so, Bill, let's kick off. Um, perhaps you can tell me a little bit about your, you know, your life and your career and your background. Right. Well, I guess uh, Adelaide-born, Melbourne-raised, uh, spent the bulk of my working life as a career soldier, as a uh, civil engineer and combat engineer, and worked my way through those range of postings in uh, construction squadrons and combat engineer regiments and eventually was the head of corps of the Royal Australian Engineers. Um, you know, served, uh, did operational service in uh, Pakistan with the mine clearance training team uh, in Solomon Islands and uh, uh, in East Timor where I was the commander of the International Stabilisation Force. And uh, my last role before getting out of defence was as the head of Australian defence staff in London. Uh, which was a great period of time because in uh, 2015 we had the centenary of Anzac, so there was lots of uh, tremendous ceremonial events over there, but uh, many operational events, including the recovery of MH17, which occurred during my tour. And after that, I've uh, retired in 2016 and I've been working in uh, uh, consulting back into defence, in academia, and uh, working in particularly in high technologies areas like robotics and virtual reality and uh, additive manufacturing. So yeah. that's my story thus far. Yeah, and that must have been an incredible time being based in the UK and being sort of the, the ADF's you know, representative working into Europe with MH17. Well, it got, it got me to do some very interesting things, which I'm sure your listeners would be interested in too. I was mm. on the uh, body recovery board for the Fromells. Um, mass internment that they discovered uh, uh, back about 10 years ago. And each year we got to do the forensics and the DNA testing and, you know, uh, tremendously uh, give a, a bunch of soldiers who were known unto God back their names. And I also had the privilege of um, scattering uh, Nancy Wake, the White Mouse's ashes, near her oh, wartime wow. headquarters in uh, 2013. Oh, wow. And, uh, and, of course, the opportunity to meet with members of the royal family and attend various functions and things. Yeah, yeah. Well, one doesn't want to mention too many, but uh, as the cortege went down the, uh, the, the Pall-Mall, or down the Mall, uh, I could pretty much identify almost everybody that I'd met uh, yeah. walking behind the, the cortege. So it was quite a privilege and a, a rare, privilege, rare privilege at that. Yes, absolutely. So if we turn our attention to uh, the Sir David Martin Reserve, Bill, uh, where, where is the reserve located in Sydney? Well, it's, it's just near uh, Rushcutters Bay. Um, it overlooks, it actually looks westwards uh, towards the, uh, if you're looking north, northwest, you'd be looking at the, uh, 
the uh, Opera House and towards Garden Island. So I imagine it was a, a, a view quite familiar to uh, Sir David Martin. Yes, yeah. Uh, I know as a young child I lived for a few years in the eastern suburbs and we used to go down, you know, to Rushcutters Bay for family picnics and things. So it's, um, I'm sure it's a place that is familiar to many people in Sydney uh, with the marina there and all of the, all of the boats uh, and certainly to, uh, to many people of the ADF and the Royal Australian Navy. Well, it's a well-positioned area. Well, we're very well-heeled. Um, yes. I'd hate to estimate the value of the properties, but uh, you've got the Cruising Yacht Club uh, right next door to the park, so um, uh, you know the, it's well fleshed out uh, with well coined up people. I think. Yes, yeah, a lovely place for a very expensive lunch. Indeed, indeed. <laughs> um, so, if we could turn perhaps to thinking about uh, Sir David, um, Bill, can you tell us a bit about his background and his career? Well, you know, I, I guess it's uh, it's very interesting that you know he was a Sydney-born uh, boy, born at uh, Darling Point. Uh, the only child of, of William Martin, also a naval officer, and his wife, is, uh, Isla Estelle. Um, his dad, notably, was killed in action at the Battle of the Sunda Straits on HMAS Perth when that was sunk on the 1st of March. Um, he's a Scots College uh, boy. He, he joined as a junior sailor in 1947, so he was only 14 when he entered service. Um, and probably as an orphan, that relieved a lot of, uh, you know, a single parent... Uh, at the time, probably relieved a lot of pressure off his his, his mother. Yes. Um, and uh, it wasn't really too long after that. It was only ten years later, when he was twenty four, that he, he met his wife Suzanne Miller and married in uh, Victoria in Willora. Mm-hmm. Um, so uh, he got off to a, a, a pretty early start. Um, he clearly shone a little bit because he was cadet captain of his division, and he was captain of the rugby union first fifteen in his final year in. Uh, 1950. So uh, he, he clearly began to stand out in in his crowd yes. very early in the piece. Yes. Like so many of his um, his counterparts, he trained early in the piece with uh, the, the Royal Navy. Uh, at that time, many many Australian naval officers went down to Dartmouth and did their basic training at the Royal Navy, Naval College down there. Um, uh, and after he did his initial training with the Royal Navy, he, he continued to serve on our HMAS Sydney during the Korean War mm. um, uh, from 1951 to 52. Um, and uh, in the subsequent years, as, as again happened many times, he peppered his way back to the motherland, back to the UK and, and the Royal Navy, where he did uh, additional training over there. And when he returned uh, to Australia in 54, he joined another aircraft carrier, the uh, HMAS Vengeance, uh, as the the officer of the watch. Um, And he, uh, as that ship was paying off, so I imagine, I don't know much about the Vengeance, vengeance, I imagine it was probably one of the older uh, World War II carriers that was nearing the end of its service. Yes. Um, And he transferred to the new aircraft carrier. He was promoted in 55 to lieutenant. Um, and the following year to HMAS Torrens, uh, which is a shore establishment in Adelaide. Yeah. Uh, and, and, you know, as we know, you know, asbestos peppered the linings of all the pipings uh, in all the ships at the time uh, without a second thought being given to it. Uh, and as we, you know, go through his story, well, I guess we'll see that uh, it played out. Yes. Yeah. As you would expect. Yeah. Sorry, I didn't mean to cut across. No, 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 no. Look, yeah. you know, again, he coming back to Australia, going back to the UK... 
uh, again in 57. So he, he was one of those lucky ones who seemed to have multiple... Um, came back, did two years in Australia and went back to the UK for another another lot of training. Mm-hmm. Uh, and this time he served with the uh, Royal Navy in the destroyer HMAS, HMAS Battle Axe, um, where he was obviously for a number of years and he, he destroyed the... Um, I won't say, uh, the, the ship, the HMAS Voyager, that many people will know through its uh, collision with yes. the uh, HMAS Melbourne at the time. But he was fortunate enough to have uh, left the ship about six months before that accident. Oh, wow. Um, so uh, I guess he was very, very lucky in that perspective and knowing how it impacted on all those who were on board at the time. Yes. <clears throat> and I guess from uh, a, a point of interest in, in, in uh, from my perspective... Uh, he again returned to uh, London in uh, February 1964 where he became the weapons advisor on the naval staff at Australia House London where I worked for three years myself. So very familiar with his, his stomping ground and he's probably, uh, I don't think our officers, officers changed uh, in all that time. Uh, they might have been refreshed but he, he certainly worked on the same floor and uh, got to work in that wonderful building which ha- has its own own stories that go back to um, uh, William the Conqueror because there's a, uh, a well in the bottom of the building of uh, Australia House that still a spring pops up now that was uh, in place in William the Conqueror's time. Oh, I wasn't aware of that. Yeah, yeah. So oh, wow. it's, uh, it's quite remarkable. It has the, the longest spiral staircase in London and uh, and many people may know, but uh, it was also the scene for the filming of Hogwarts Bank in Harry Potter. Yes. Um, and, and a range of other movies from Wonder Woman to uh, James Bond. Yeah. Uh, and is there, I'm just trying to recall, is there any bomb damage on the exter- on the outside of the building from, um, you know, chips? Uh, not quite wall? there, but it immediately across the road in St Clement's Danes, Clement Dane. Uh, church, there was a, a large bomb that dropped during the war yes. and you can still see the spray marks uh, yes. up against that, that chapel. Yeah, that might be what I'm thinking of. I remember walking around there but I was, you know, my, my mid-20s at the time, so a little while ago, yeah. The other aspect about that is that, you know, this is where he begins to get noted as a, a, a sailor's sailor and a, a notable leader, if you like. You know, obviously... Um, the, the Naval College at Jarvis Bay is the, the home to the Navy Officer Carter. It's where you shape impressionable young men and women these days and, um, you know, give them their basis for being the, the commanders of the Navy in the future. And he clearly had a pretty, pretty profound role because by the time you, you, you know, go on, uh, you know, 15 years or so and the, the words in which people talked about him, Really indicated the um, the impression he made on those those uh, young minds. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. After that, he um, uh, he went back into uh, a training role on HMAS Queensborough, and uh, then was appointed the fleet operations officer responsible for movements and activities of Australian naval units. And you, you're thinking '69, so it was a busy time. Yes. We were putting ships backwards and forwards up into Vietnam, yes. doing na- naval uh, gunnery uh, from the shoreline uh, into Viet Cong and NVA positions uh, up and down the coast and supporting the, the operations of the Australian Task Force there. Yes. So it was a very, very busy time and no, no doubt he was um, uh, consumed with work at, at the time. But he did get a, a, a bit of a break and in 72 
which probably uh, which coincided obviously with the election of Gough Whitlam, uh, uh, the end of conscription and the withdrawal from uh, Vietnam. Uh, he got some time off to go to the Joint Services Staff College at Western Creek in Canberra and uh, was promoted to captain at the end of that, which right. is what that, that course was designed to do, Yes, to prepare um, mid-ranking officers for more senior appointments. And he became the Director of Naval Reserves and, and Cadets and I was also lucky to work in the uh, as Deputy Head of Cadets and Reserves looking at the tri-service side of things, so I think I got a pretty good idea of some <laughs> of the challenges that he faced. He uh, did a uh, very successful command, um, escorted Her Majesty's Yacht Britannia during the royal visit, um, which I wonder if that was coinciding with the opening of the Sydney Opera House, um, which, you know, I think it probably was about about that time. Mm. Um, and uh, visited Port Moresby, Papua New Guinea, um, North, Norfolk Island. Uh, and after that, he went into the more senior staff appointments that... Um, that drudgery that um, more senior officers get to do in the in the halls of power at Russell offices in Canberra that you've got to do that staff time. Oh come on, mate! Being D- director general of Navy Manpower would be a fascinating role. Uh, well, certainly everybody's best friend or worst friend, depending on where you were appointed and where you were posted, I guess. Yes. Um, in 1980, he went once again back to Britain. Uh, this time, a student at the prestigious Royal College of Defence College uh, Defence Studies in London, which was you know, some people might know as the former Imperial Defence College, which is in a wonderful, wonderful location in Belgravia. Again, um, a very well-heeled oh, area of, place, of, yes. of London. The building itself is is fabulous. Uh, it's been in numerous movies. It's uh, it played the ballroom uh, or the, the the grand staircase in a movie on the Titanic. It was most recently in The King's Man. Uh, where it, uh, it doubled as the uh, U.S. Embassy, so it's a it's a wonderful uh, location there. It was also in um, upstairs, downstairs for those that might oh, remember right. that yes. that series many many That's going many, away a bit going years, a bit. years ago. Yes, so he was um, promoted Rear Admiral and Chief of Navy Personnel in in 1982, um, uh, and that was a particularly demanding job because by that stage, um, you know, being a carrier man. Um, the government decided not to replace the HMAS Melbourne, so no doubt that was you know, very sad at the time. But also at that time he was diagnosed uh, with uh, emphysema, which you know, may, I presume, you know, probably related to all that um, uh, asbestos that he'd been exposed to over a long period of time uh, on his ships. Um, notwithstanding that, in 1984 he became the Flag Officer for Naval Support Command in Sydney, uh, which was the fourth most senior position uh, for naval officers uh, at the time. And in 1985, he was made an officer of the um, uh, Order of Australia. Yes. <clears throat> and what did he do after after his naval career? Yeah, well, he, he, he retired in uh, 88. Um, and, um, you know, uh, I guess it's a sign of the, sign of the person. Um, and the influence he had over many people because this just doesn't come from the members of the family, but he received New South Wales Father of the Year Award and in August he accepted the government's offer to, offer to become the state's 34th governor. So he was sworn in, um, uh, sworn in on the 20th of January 1989 and he first became the first RAN officer to hold the position. And in December he was appointed a KCMG or Knight Commander of the Order of Michael and St George. Yes. Um, you know, uh, 
I think, you know, that's when I, uh, as a young captain at the time living in Sydney, you know, uh, there were many stories of the way he operated. Yes. He was certainly known as a person of great warmth and hospitality, uh, very charismatic. Um, you know, uh, I guess in his time, uh, he was considered a, a handsome bloke. Oh, he's a handsome guy. Um, Looking at his photos, I, I thought there's a little bit of a Sean Connery about him when you uh, actually look at him. Yeah. Yes, yeah, yeah. And he, so, he, look, he, he, was, uh, he was dubbed the people's governor by the media, which is a, a sign of the affection in which he was held. Yeah. Um, in uh, 1990, he, he, his emphysema, I guess, transitioned and he was diagnosed with mesothelioma. And in a public announcement in August, he revealed um, his condition and his decision that he was going to to resign um, uh, his position. So on the 7th of August, he and Lady Martin left Government House intending to retire in Sydney, Um, uh, survived by his wife and his two daughters and a son. He he died three days later, so he didn't last very, very long. That's terribly sad. And a a bit like uh, Queen Elizabeth II... He was basically working up until a, la- a couple of days before he passed away. Yes, um, which is a you know that sign of loyalty, of commitment, of sense of service, which he had throughout his life. Mm. Um, he was given a, a state funeral, which um, if you have a look at the the diagrams, uh, the pictures of it, was very much like the Queen's funeral. Um, a gun carriage pulled by naval ratings, front and rear. Uh, it was uh, quite a r- remarkable um, uh, succession. Yes, and for a man of just 57 years old to think about what he achieved, uh, not only in his his naval career, but you know, outside of that, but also obviously very well regarded as a as a mentor and 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 you know, the father of of, of the year award mm. s- speaks volumes about the man. Well, you know, I think you know people in those roles, like governors, but all leaders you know, um, help to give people their sense of self and their sense of uh, self-worth and the sense of community and the way he lived his life uh, really, uh, uh, I think, gave that to not only the, the, the Navy personnel that he served with but also the people in New South Wales. Yes. Um, I think it's also worth noting, you know, we mentioned his father. Of course, his son, Will, um, William Martin, has, is a third-generation um, Navy officer Right. And uh, and he went on and um, and had some thirty years in the navy and served as a captain on ships and things. Right. Um, the the Martin family have, have um, served with distinction for a very very long time. It's a long history, isn't it? You know, when you you start adding up fifty or sixty years of service to the nation and that add his dad in there, and it goes well beyond that as well. Yeah. Yeah. Um, of course, there is the Sir David Martin charity, um, which has been going for some thirty years. And uh, that charity is helps youth in crisis and vulnerable people, which I think is you know, particularly in today's age and time, that's that's a very honourable charity and and does fantastic work. Yeah, look, you know, um, it's clear his legacy lives on, mm. uh, and people continue to do good works in his name, and that's uh, again, uh, it's a, a testament to the man. Yeah. Um, I think there's a Sydney Harbour catamaran. Yep. Yeah, uh, the, I don't know which run it does. You know, probably uh, circ- run circ- circular key to Manly, maybe. Yeah. Um, but you know, uh, you know, he's he's well remembered. 
Yes. Yeah. Well, look, Bill, thank you for your time today. It's been an absolute pleasure chatting to you. Thanks, Mark. It's been uh, fun. For those that uh, this may be the first podcast you've listened to, I hope you've enjoyed this episode. I've, I've certainly really enjoyed chatting about the Sir David Martin Reserve and, of course, the man himself. Uh, we do have some other fantastic episodes which I encourage you to listen to. Um, if you've enjoyed this episode, please do subscribe to the series on your favourite podcast streaming platform. We uh, look forward to talking to you with some more podcasts, but for the moment, keep working on those kilometres and bye for now. You've been listening to Bravery Trek Run Ashore. If you've enjoyed this episode of the podcast, be sure to subscribe to stay up to date with all the latest episodes.